Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year And to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. All right, guys, we're here. We are we are we're bringing you a special episode, partially because it's the first time that we're doing this without the live video so we might sound different or better we definitely look better um but well some of us do anyway not not speaking for hey you. i'm not <laughs> if you guys do typically watch the video you can picture brian wearing a hat uh, megan wearing a How yellow shirt jonathan is wearing an old school hf pod the og logo shirt that's um, amazing and um, I and wonder if here. one day I wonder if one day I'll be able to get an HF Pod T-shirt, like an OG one or a new one, or just like just like one. You have one what? actually in a box in a closet right over there. Okay, that, good. Um, <laughs> I just need to I just need to send out. I think so that's where mine is. You, you technically perfect. Have, you have one too. Okay, You'll get yours know. at Dicks this year, aren't you? Okay. Yeah, Great. we are going to Dicks. Um, we are we're doing it. So there's a, that's a special announcement for everybody. For everybody listening, okay, so we are embarking on the most controversial and probably objectively most crazy year of fish ever, the last year of 1.0, 2004, and we have made it... This this is not 1.0. 
You are already giving it more praise than I expected, but no, this is not 1.0. This is 2.0. Yeah, I am deeply offended. Uh, we skipped, I skipped a couple of years. I don't know why. Um, last, last thing I knew it was 1999. All right. You're right. <laughs> 2004. So we, okay. So, Confusing. but still, still, still a ridiculous year of fish, but maybe more interesting than, than it gets credit for. We'll find out. Um, in my head, this is, this is like, this is bad, but then we went back and listened to this show and I think there's, I think some more space from this makes it a little bit different. So I guess we're going to find out what everyone thinks. Um, if you want to help uh, support what we're doing here, consider subscribing to Osiris Premium. It's osirispod.com slash premium. We do a bunch of fun stuff and we're going to do more bonus content. Um, it helps us do what we do here. Okay. Brian, you are in charge of 2004. So tell us your perspective. John Kerry on wins. Where, <laughs> where are we? That's what happens. <laughs> Where does the year, how does this year um, shake out for you before we go to to hear like some of the context of 2004 from Meg? Well, I think there's two things. Um, I mean, I think first and foremost, like I can't separate the personal from the objective. And this was, I'm a 2.0 kid. I got into fish because I got tapes passed to me during the hiatus. But at the same time when the tapes were passed and I was like, I have to see that band in concert, whatever I just heard on that tape completely changed something in my brain and I need to go see that. And they were like, haha, they don't play music anymore. You can't see that. And it was like this sensation of this thing you just discovered that you love, you will never have. And that sentiment is always like buried in my own personal fish experience. And so because like there's always been this discourse since the 1990s that fish will never be the band that they were at when you saw them when you were 22 years old in the late 1990s and they were blowing people's brains in a way that no other band was at the time. I don't necessarily adhere to that argument, but that's like a larger theme of uh, fishdom over the years. Um, so like for me, from a personal standpoint, I went into 2003 and 2004 wanting to experience this thing that I'd heard while at the same time not experiencing this thing that I'd heard. And so trying to rationalize this thing that I loved and this thing that I was falling in love with and this thing I was learning about with what it was not anymore, but also like what it still potentially could be, um, always shapes my, my, my hearing of this. I think the objective measure is as we've been talking through this series, there was this growth and this evolution and this motivation and this drive for work that really defined fish through the early to mid 1990s. And as we've been talking about it somewhere around 97, 98, 99, that kind of crests. And there almost was a sense of like, they didn't seem, they didn't sound as though they cared as much. And what also plays into that is there's issues with substance abuse there's personal issues relationship wise there's a there's a lot of um noise and chaos surrounding the band and they ultimately take a break they all go off they do their own things they come back try to make this thing work and by late 2003 early 2004 it is extremely apparent that this thing that they've created is not healthy for them and is not healthy for a lot of people. And rather than just break up and 
call it off. I think that they try to do in 2004 the respectable thing, which is say, we are going to give everyone a send off and we're going to give everyone one last party, one last memory. But ultimately, they are not capable of that. And so you have these three different periods in 2004 the April Vegas run, the June 2000 run, or June, June 2004 run, and then the August run that leads to Coventry, where the band is slowly and steadily moving towards what would ultimately be the end. And I think for a lot of us thinking always was going to be the end. And that, that, that shapes and colors a lot of this at the risk of going on too long. I will just say there is another side of this that has gone on for as long as the band existed up to this point in time. That is the other shape of this story that I think we're going to get into obviously over the next 20 some odd episodes. Yeah, it's funny. I, I, I will say that, um, they definitely created some memories, but I don't think it was the kind of memories they were hoping to create, largely. Um, and yeah, there's listenable music in 2004. There's no question that it exists, but yeah. man, do you have to work hard to get to it. Yeah. I mean, it's so interesting listening to you talk about that, Brian, because... I feel like I was just a few years away from that happening to me with the Grateful Dead. It, like I got to see them in 93, 94, 95. But if I had found them three years later, I would have had this exact experience that you had, except they never would have come back. You know, and I can't help but think when I listen to these shows, this parallel between how Trey sounds to how Jerry sounded in like 94 and 95. And I just keep thinking like, when I went to those shows in 94 and 95, I was so happy to be there. I don't know what your experience was like, was like being at the shows in 2.0, but I felt like it was my, you know, I was so in love with the Grateful Dead at this point and getting to see them at all. I was able to find those moments that were amazing, even when the shows were kind of disastrous. And I feel like that's what was cool in listening back to the show for me was being able to realize like there are still those moments and thinking so much about how this really could have been the end for fish and how different life would have been for so many people. So I just, it was really reflective for me listening back to the show. Yeah. I mean, I think like you said, Jonathan, you have to work hard for the, the musical highlights. I sort I mean, I definitely agree with that just based on my own interpretation, but I also like have to work hard to summon positive memories of it. Like that's another part of working hard for it. Cause like in my mind, it's just like, you know, I went to Coventry. So like, that's all you Ugh. really need to know. And like, it's easy to, it's easy to just be like, all right, you know, I'm just going to skip listening to that era ever again, which I've basically done for 20 years almost, you know? So, so like it's simpler, <laughs> it's simpler to not. And I mean, not from just from a musical level, but from a personal standpoint of just like, I'm just going to not relive 2004, like 2003, I had good, you know, good shows and fun and 2004 was just more of a disaster for me but but partially because i went to coventry and i traveled you know 26 hours to get there and i was like trying like you know like everyone had a crazy experience i went to these vegas shows i had i'll tell you about the my experience on the first night second night i don't think we went to the third night i think we went to zion national park and went to some national parks after but um it was just you Solid know it call it was a good call I, yeah. we, I feel like we watched The Sopranos like in this Airbnb in some 
I mean, not an Airbnb because that didn't exist, but you know, in like a rental house, a friend's parents thing or something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But I do think there's the musical, you got to really dig, but I feel like for me, I really got to dig for like my own to relive these. Like it wasn't a good year for me overall. So like, I think that feeds into it. So it's hard to separate, as you said, Brian. So I, I got to, I want to touch back on what Megan said with, about Grateful Dead, because, you know, I was seeing the Grateful Dead in the 90s and I didn't see them before 91. I saw them in 91, 92, 93, 94, 95. I was fervent and and making every effort. Um, at first, it was very much, and I think 91 was a fine and good time if you're only seeing the 90s. It's a good time to jump in. It, 90 would have been better, but whatever. Um they uh there's definitely a falling off over those years and i think i've responded to that falling off while i have n- pretty much exclusively good memories with a few exceptions of shows where i was like there was i know one in particular where i was ready to walk out but i'm glad i didn't that's a different podcast um and uh but mostly i have pretty solid memories and i deal with that with by not looking too closely at that stuff or when i do i cherry pick and uh like uh the last broke down pod that i put out was um it had music from 1994 and uh and i think good music from 1994 but i definitely you know was careful about what i chose um I don't know that this band that we're here to talk about today was having, I I, I honestly, I think they were in a much deeper and worse rut. Um, I think that even when Jerry was not doing well, most of the Grateful Dead were really on point. Um, uh, Fish being a four piece is not as much structure to hold up Mm -hmm. when one Mm -hmm. or two people aren't hanging on uh, there's just not as much to keep the thing afloat and uh yeah, nowhere to hide shows yes yeah. nowhere to hide agree with that one person's yeah. not listening the whole thing is just kind of like hey there's a good groove here but what is happening you know there's, there's a lot of that in 2004 um which at the same time produces some kind of some kind of memorable music but i'm not yeah. sure it's the fish band that i signed up for yeah 10 years earlier um, but they, um, there's a point here. I don't remember what it was, but, uh, I think, <laughs> I think the thing that you said though, there at the end is, is one of the interesting factors to me. Cause I, like when the band broke up, I mean, I, I kind of just listened to a lot of fish for like six months and hoped that they would just be like, Hey, we're just kidding. Like this was really hard for us to break up and we still like each other. So we're going to come back. And it's like the years went on. Like for me, I just, I basically stopped listening to Fish in 2006 and 2007 and was like, whatever I learned from this band, I'm going to apply to other music. And then there was this, you know, we'll get into this as we go through the intervening years and the return and the total joy of them coming back in 2009. But I think the idea of like, this isn't the band I signed up for. It's one of the things that endlessly fascinates me about this era is it's a move and it's a plot line that you see throughout rock history that a lot of bands undergo which is the party gets too big the party gets all too encompassing and all too often we know where that story goes and it usually doesn't lead to a really really good place 
it usually leads to actually like a really bad place. And I agree with you, like listening to this band, try to play a song like taste in this show or try to even play like silent in the morning or the horse, you know, these like fairly straightforward, simple songs that like, they're just tripping over each other, trying to play it and trying to get the emotions across. Um, that is like like it 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 pairs with the history of fish because the history of fish is constant evolution and is constant change and is constant development and i think that even in all of the issues of this era there is still a push you hear it in the jamming there is still a push towards what is possible out of this music and they just ran into the end of the road well, needed a total reset and then any like we're able to restart biologist that. or botanist or whatever who studies you know evolution will tell you that evolution has a lot of dead ends 100 percent, a lot of dead ends <laughs> and this one definitely had one i i was i, I realized the thing i was going to say it was kind of in reply to rj which was that you know my memories of 2004 fish are actually more limited and constrained because i didn't go I, I stayed away. I went to the movie theater when they did the Brooklyn thing. It's just the one night. I uh I went to Hampton. That's a story we I've told. I won't I don't want to ever tell again. And and I knew that Coventry would be bad. I don't know why I knew. I had a gut feeling and I was like, I'm not going. Which is weird because I was had been all in on the festivals for a number of years. And yeah, I just I couldn't. And I sat home and listened to the stream and I, and I, I felt vindicated and horribly sad. And then unlike you though, I kept listening to fish the whole time after for years. I just, I listened, I went back and listened to all the shows cause we had E-Tree, right? So we had all the things and I listened to it all more or less. And, yep. uh, and, and then and then our roads reconverge right in 2009 but yeah getting ahead of ourselves but uh yeah i mean i it's funny cuz they hit and miss and we'll get into this in the details here on this show but they they it's i'm sometimes surprised by where they do come together mm. on this show yeah. and then like shocked where they don't i'm not shocked yeah. cuz I, I i see the date on it but i mean i would be if i were listening blind there are two moments in the show where I was, I, I, you know, listening to this with the ears of this series in mind. Uh, there were two moments where I was like, I, I did not recall that being good in the moment, and it sound, it's not, There are aspects that sound better than I than even I recall. Megan, is there any anything that we need to know in terms of where fish was? We just covered a lot of it. But yeah, we covered a lot of it. I mean, the the data is they played 19 shows this year. Um, I think that, you know, on the 25th of May is when Trey announces the breakup in his letter. And a few days later, Paige puts out his own personal letter. It's pretty heartbreaking. And obviously, we're going to talk more about that and the breakup as we talk about the show. But um, also on June 15th, the 11th studio album, Undermine, comes out. And it's the final album that will be on Elektra. This album is, you know, features songs from each of the band members. Process was pretty collaborative. I also love the documentary that came with some of the early copies of the show, um, of the album, The Specimens of Beauty by Danny Clinch. 
it's kind of cool that we have this like follow-up to tracking in Bittersweet Motel. It's like the 2.0 version of that. And I just love that scene when Trey is dancing to crowd control. Him and Fishman are like drinking white wine and they're like dancing. And I just, those moments that you get to see Trey as like a fish fan are just my favorite things ever. Um, after that, they're going to do you know their summer tour, two shows in Coney Island and two nights at SPAC. They're going to play on the marquee, the Letterman show. And then they're going to do Deer Creek, Alpine Valley, Hampton, Great Woods, Camden, and end the summer at Coventry. That's pretty much it. Kind of amazing. I like the Undermine classic. Album. Sorry, I was gonna say I like that Undermine album. I'm glad you talked about too. it. I I, yeah. I have mixed memories, but it's been a long time since I've watched that documentary. But it, it brings to mind that the headphones jam is one of the best mm-hmm. things that Fish did in this era. And um, absolutely. And everybody should go listen to that on a very long walk or mushroom trip or whatever. The documentary, because because at the same time the It documentary was filmed, or the interview portion was filmed after these Vegas shows, and mm-hmm. you see just like how, and I think that this Vegas run is we're going to get into like it shows like how extreme and how quick things could shift with this band at this time. Like one second, yes. they make no sense, and they are talking almost gibberish on screen. And the next second they make, you know, Paige makes one of the greatest points I've ever heard any of them talk about their improvisation in that it documentary. But then there's moments where they just seem completely out of it. And the specimens of beauty is very similar where, like you said, they're clearly still loving being fish and they're clearly still loving what is possible with fish. And then you have moments where it's, you you don't want to film this and put it out to your fans. Like this is not something that we should be seeing. And there's, there's just a ton of that throughout this year. Yeah. And the interviews of like, of Mike and Paige and Fishman, like right after they were finished recording Undermine are like super positive. They're like, this was so collaborative. This is like some of the best stuff, most accessible, but also uniquely us album we've ever put out. Fishman says that the connection is like the greatest song that Fish has ever written. Exactly. And like he means it earnestly. And he means it. He's like, I can't believe I get to be a part of this. And then three weeks later, you know, they're breaking up. I mean, they say that Trey watched listened to the soundboards and read the reviews of the Vegas shows. And that was a big influence too. You mean the reviews by our friend, Jesse Jarnow? Yeah. Yeah. I reread those yesterday. Yeah. And um, yeah, I don't disagree with him. Yeah. yeah. That's they like, like pulling him backstage. Right. And yelling and, at him. And yelling and being like, Hey, we read your reviews. Like that came up in our band meeting, you know? Thanks a lot. You broke up the band, I think. <laughs> you broke up the yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, those were know. like the worst sort of truth serum for. Mm-hmm. It, it was like reading those and understanding the impact of the uh, Swift Boat controversy was like <laughs> everything 19 year old Brian needed to know that like good things may not be possible in this world and you need to be hardened to personality. And don't get caught windsurfing because that's your demise yeah. as a political candidate. That's true. <laughs> I mean, okay. I forgot about the windsurfing part. It was <laughs> like Brian, the biggest Jesus scandal Christ. ever. Like, what the hell? Like, yeah. God, times were so innocent then. Jesus. I mean, they just, it just played straight into it. It was just, it was the war. It was it played straight into it. Um, what an Brian, did they make, did they make movies or TV shows in 2004? Or was it all boxy gems? What? <laughs> So it's funny, man, because I'm looking back at this and 
there's two thoughts I have. One, the cultural morass that we fell in in the late 1990s from a pop cultural standpoint only gets worse mm -hmm. in some very important ways. But also, this is like the diversion for me as a person. Like as we're going through the late 90s and early 2000s, pop cultures compared to fish, I still knew what was going on in pop culture. I still at the time felt like I needed to check in with MTV. I still had an entertainment weekly subscription. So I knew all of this stuff. Like this is just like I grew up, you know, <clears throat> in the suburbs. This was my entry point to culture. Um, this is where, and I remember distinctly summer 2004. Uh, I just want, and, and spring, summer 2004, I just want to set the scene for you all. I was finishing my freshman year in college and my two best friends and I rented a house for our sophomore and junior years, years of college. We, we had a two-year lease, this amazing house, three blocks from campus, great front porch, amazing wraparound backyard, like the perfect house. And we needed someone to live in it for the summer. And so I volunteered and I lived by myself that whole summer. Uh, I worked at like a sandwich shop and I went through Rolling Stones top 500 albums of all time in order from 500 to one. And I, and I like cleaned up listening to records I'd never listened to before. And I just like, this was when I started to like branch off from listening to jam bands. And so I say that because looking at this pop culture list, this is when like, I just moved away from the culture at the time. I had like, there's some of this stuff that I distinctly remember, but like a lot of it is just away from me. So TV first, um, I'm going to go in one to five because five is incredibly important and foreshadowing in a very deeply dark and dismal way. So I want to end on that. So number one, CSI has taken over television. Mm. CSI is everywhere. Number two and three, American Idol. Two and three. This is similar to where who wants to be a millionaire. We love watching ourselves succeed, even in like <laughs> the fakest. Oh, way remember possible. American Idol was on multiple nights a week because you had that's the same the thing with night and then the voting night, yes. right? Like, and so I've those two never nights watched are the an entire episode of this program, but I unfortunately know the structure because I was alive. Exact same. You couldn't avoid um, it. Number three, for the last time, I believe on this list ever. Thank God friends and number five <laughs> this is really sad guys all right I just this wanted, is gonna hang move on, up. brian i gotta interrupt and say you, you know you never told me life was going to be this way <laughs> <laughs> number five this is really bad this is only going to rise over the next couple of years the apprentice oh wow that future is dark. president is donald dark. trump is ruling the airwaves uh music so i only know one song on here so i'm relying on you megan to still know the the, oh, the yeah. hip-hop and r&b gems number five is usher's burn number four is chingy featuring jay weave two artists i have no idea if they still make music i, I just i don't know uh one call away number three mario winans featuring this is a fucking amazing featuring enya and p diddy I don't want wow. to know. Wow. Wow. A song that I kind of do want to know, but I don't know. Uh, <laughs> number two, another artist. I have no idea if this guy is still making music. Jaquan Tipsy. Oh my God. No that idea. song is huge. Huge. I mean, that song probably defined the way that I existed on most weekends through the latter part yes. of my freshman year. But, um, and number one, this song was 
fucking everywhere and I hated it then and I still hate it now. And it made me realize that culture was just like going to get so, so bad over the next 20 years of my life. Usher featuring Lil John and Ludacris. You guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, this was like my club song. I used to like you know what dance I'm talking the about. fuck out of this song. Yeah, the song is good. Come on. She just said the title. Yes. Yes, that's it. <laughs> um, number and then movies. Uh, let's go to movies. Here. Just I have no idea what that song is. Like, yeah, no clue. Yeah? Be thankful for yourself for not no. knowing this. <laughs> I'm, so I'm about to blow up our text chain with some of those songs that you're just gonna love. I'm about to. In my college <laughs> town, there was one bar that was like amazing. You could get any beer there. It was called the Rhino, and right next to it was Stockman's, which was where all the Montana cowboys went, and it was like a faux club. And this song, I swear to God, every night that you walked by this bar, this was the only song that was playing in the summer of 2004. Um, movies. There's one I really want to get your guys' thoughts on. I'm really curious if you guys saw this. Uh, number five, Home on the Range. I have no idea what that is. Number four, Scooby-Doo 2. I did not see that. Uh, nope. Jonathan, I feel like you're that the only person who would see that. You saw that. But I, I had young children. So that works. That fits. Um, I had a baby. That's like... Care, but... Yeah. That's like I don't think that scene. I don't think you took the baby to see that movie. I think no, that's but I, I had, I had uh, no, I, but I had a, a eight year old or something at that time. It's a perfect okay, age. That for this. That's fair. why I've yeah. seen Super Mario Bros. twice in theaters now. Um, <laughs> number three, I want to know if you guys saw this because I saw this in theaters. It's one of the grossest theater experiences I've ever had in my entire life. The Passion of the Christ. I remember that, but I don't think I, I didn't see that in a theater. You guys didn't see this. I've seen the movie, this is like, but I, I didn't see it in the theater. Because what are I your thoughts on the movie? Baby. Uh, um, I like the soundtrack. <laughs> I mean, if I'm going to watch that story, give me Jesus Christ Superstar. Come on. That's what I want. I want the I guitar was... riff, you know, and the Gethsemane bit. Anyways. It was just, it was really Great. gross, like, just like piled on over and over and over again. Um, number yeah. two, great movie, Kill Bill Volume 2. Mm. Tarantino, awesome stuff. I see that in the theater, though. And number one, I feel like, Jonathan, you've seen this, Hellboy. I've seen it, yeah. I did not see it in a theater. It's like a really good cable guilty pleasure when you're very stoned and you're 20 years old and you don't want to do your homework. Um, that is pop culture in April, 2004. Uh, did fish do better or did pop culture do better? That is the question we're going to try to answer today. Wow. It's that a is, close one. That is sad. It's, it's a draw. It's all, it's yeah, all very, it's a, it's very intense. All right. So we should probably talk about the show we've done. We've we're 30 minutes in, so we're perfectly suited to, possibly talk about the show for today um there's something so 2004 personally i had i was at these shows and i was working at a job in dc and i would i met my wife as as jonathan says when we whenever we talk about our wives she was not my wife at the time but i met my <laughs> wife in 2003 and we were like together for like three months and then she she like broke it off and then so like at this point i was not with my wife and we weren't married, but, um, we, I was about to go to work on a campaign in Florida, like a month later. And my life was just sort of like, it was, it was not great. Cause I didn't know what I was going to do with my career. And like, 
So I went to these shows and the first night I went with two of my childhood friends and we did the thing where you you buy mushrooms in the parking lot and you eat them. And then like 15 minutes later, you're like, why aren't these working? Let's buy more. And so we did that. And the, the, my friend who I won't name, I don't think he listens, but I, but a lot of people who listen know who he is, but um, he, he left, he just left, he just, he just left. And he left the show, the, he left everything? the show. At the end of the first set of the first night, the timber, I remember, which was the set closer, I had to go out and like you could leave the Thomas and Mack Center and sit on the stairs and you could see the strip from there. And I just like sat there for like 30 minutes. My other friend came out. We tried to get in touch with our third friend who had left. He was in his closet in his house. He lived in Vegas. He was, he was. Oh, no. He, we didn't, he didn't know why he was in his closet, but he called us and was like, I'm in my closet. And like an hour later, he called and he was like, I'm at CVS. I'm shopping for sunglasses. So he was just like, <laughs> all was better. He just was having the time of his life. And I think the second, I think the second set of that, everything got like more normal for me. But that show was just hor- like horrendous. I mean, it really, besides Coventry, definitely the worst show I've ever seen. But I think, so we came into this night probably a little bit more prepared to go to a rock concert. But I feel like on re-listen, this first set is better than I remember it being. Um, like the rock and roll is is pretty good. The seven below opener and then rock and roll. Um, I'll just go through the set real quick and then I'll stop. But seven below rock and roll, boogie on, back on the train, possum, strange design, gumbo, Brian and Robert, taste. So some of these songs, like you said, Brian, they tried to play songs and it didn't really work, but the jamming I thought was was pretty good. Like I don't know why they played. They like tried to play Boogie on. It was like four minutes, and they were like, "Ah, this just seems hard." And then they moved on to the next thing. But <laughs> but I thought the rock and roll jam was pretty solid. Yeah, whenever you got a jam in two oftentimes it was going to lead to some sort of magic because they they just were still capable. Uh, they didn't have to like relearn at that point how to jam. That was the thing that just mm-hmm. worked when they came back. Um, I just want to say. I had a slightly similar experience to you in night one, but in night two, um, in night one, we had some bunk mushroom chocolates. So the whole night I was, is it working? Is the music just like, cause night one is the worst fish show I've ever seen in my entire life. Like that is, there's nothing worse than <laughs> night one. And I don't even like recommend people listening to it for context. It is truly bad. There's a moment where Trey misses the entire timing for the solo of down with disease yeah. and just starts playing it while <sighs> the other, while the, other three members are playing something else. Girls, girls, girls should be wiped across, wiped off the face of the fucking earth. I don't know why that they have that on live fish as a consumable product. Like it is embarrassingly bad. Um, but night two, my friend and I bought mushroom chocolates from what I believe in my memories was like a 13 year old girl selling them out of her backpack, which <laughs> is very problematic, but was very representative of the time. Yeah. And we ate them going into the show and we bought two each and about 15 minutes later, we were in our seats and the second balcony just melted onto the floor. And we looked at each other and our faces were all like contorted uh. and all he could get out. We And we, we got in because the Thomas and Mack Center was GA the same way that Dix is. So you had to get in early to like have seats together with people. And the first night we were like way, way up high, but we were like, we don't need the other one. So we handed them to our friend and just fast forward midway through set one, he thought he was going insane. And he decided that the only way to determine if he was still himself or if he had lost his mind was to eat a cigarette 
And his rationale was, if I eat the cigarette and I throw up, I'm still me. <laughs> but if I eat the cigarette and I enjoy it, I've lost my mind. This is and so as he awesome. As he tells it, he just went, popped in his mouth, down the hatch, no issues, kept dancing. He was like, well, I've lost it. And he just like, he boogied on. But getting back to the music. Oh my God. Um, uh, that's fantastic. This was until sometime in like 2010, the best set of fish that I ever saw. This was energized. The placement of songs are really, really strong. The rock and roll has this really cool second jam that like goes into this really weird groove space. Seven Below has this ragey peak. It's the only time Seven Below has ever opened a show. Back on the Train has like a surprisingly seamless segue into possum it introduces this kind of like chunky rhythmic progression that will return in jabu return in parts of twist it will return in parts of uh harry hood um the ballads i thought were really nicely placed strange design hearing page with like his weathered voice in 2004 sing strange design just hits really hard uh the brian and robert listening to this like on headphones re-listening to it in this setting like that song sounds gorgeous and there's really a lot of emotion in it. Um, you have this like beautiful roads and kind of wash of sound back, backdrop to open it up. Trey has this very aching solo. Um, and then the taste has this like zony drony peak that sounds very much a part of 2.0 and just adds like another element to the song. So like overall, I think that this first set is elevated above a lot of what they're playing around the time or on the, this period in time and touches like that magic that is fish. Yeah. It was really interesting for me listening back because I don't listen to 2.0 fish. Like the only 2.0 that I listen to really is live in Brooklyn because I love that moment dance so much, but I really don't listen to like a lot of this. I was so disconnected from the band at this point. I was selling like, all my old fish shit on like eBay. Like I was like, just done with it. I kind of felt like I was just, I just felt like I needed to grow up and needed to move on. And so I don't have that kind of emotional connection to it. I think sometimes the way that you guys do. So it was kind of like, I have a distance to it and listening back. It was so interesting because I think that Trey, his voice is so hard to get past. It sounds obviously so bad that it's really hard to like not hear that and feel like sad about it. And his tone is so kind of like shaky and inconsistent. But I really thought this set actually flows pretty well. Like I think set list construction wise, it's really good. And I feel like once you get to strange design, like I took a huge sigh because Paige sounds beautiful on the piano and it's nice. You're like, okay, Trey's not going to sing this. Like this is, this might be like a better moment. I felt the same way during Possum, which I usually hate. I was like, okay, well, at least Trey's not going to sing. So like, that's going to be better. And I feel like even Gumbo has like good energy to it. The solo is like growly. It's like pretty decent. I feel like the whole second part of this set is actually pretty good. And I agree that Brian and Robert, like Trey sounds so intimate. And it kind of reminded me of when you know, Jerry was playing those like really intense, like emotional solos when he would play like a Black Muddy River, so many roads, like at the end, they just, 
when you're going through a hard thing and you're singing a song that's really sad, like it, it's, it works and it works here really well. And I think this taste is kind of cool. Like there's like a micro dram to it and it builds to like this messy peak and the song just crashes to an ending in a way that really kind of works. So I really loved the second half of this set. And I think once I was able to kind of distance myself from how bad Trey's singing is, I think I was able to kind of like listen closely to what was good. You know, we talk about the night before the night thing all the time on here. Uh, this is like the night after the night, but right? in this case, it's the rebound. It's like, uh, yeah. uh, maybe we ought to come out and actually play in the second half here. And um, they they had to know. But unfortunately, I feel like. All right, I'm going to give my most charitable position on Trey's voice and well-being is that my boy was not hydrating in a healthy way at this point. He clearly needed some B12, a lot of naps, gallon Lack of water. Lack of hydration in the desert is a is a new theory of that, and I, I appreciate it. <laughs> well, it, 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 <laughs> we all hiking know there, yeah. day and just not there was a lot water. going on. So much hiking. The, the most charitable thing I can say is that that was an element. And, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, like any of us who've done fish shows in Vegas or in, even in Denver knows that you, you've got to – if you want to, you want to party, okay, but you got to take it easy or balance your. You got to balance it out. You got to you got to drink some water, bro, or you're gonna sound like Trey sounds every time he opens his mouth on this concert. Um, but uh, there is some decent playing. Seven below kind of kind of works. Rock and roll is there's a lot of a lot of two a lot of two has. Stuff that kind of sounds like good jamming, but then you realize it's Trey just going off as the band mm. plays. The rest of the band hopefully is locked in and Trey's just going off. I think you get that in the rock and roll. Going to get that in the back on the train. Um, Strange Design is pretty. And Brian and Robert has really nice stuff. Um, one of the hallmarks of 2.0 as well is that Trey had changed his rig around and he dropped the compressors out of his signal path. And, you know, if you don't really know what compressors do, the, the, the cliff notes version is that it makes the, the quiet bits sound louder. So it helps keep it kind of consistent tone, but also can extend your sustain. And um, so Trey's got these wilder dynamics in his tone, mm -hmm. but, you know, it also gives a little more of the rough edge, allows that to kind of come through. Um, and I think it pays off here in the Brian and Robert and in a couple other times, you know, I, but it makes the 2.0 tone very distinct. Um, so it's got more probably... distinct in 2004. Yeah. Like that, exactly. that got rougher and that the lack of dynamics, I think, is. Well, from just a sonic standpoint is something that as we listened in the late 90s even when they quote didn't care he still had the ability to fit where the band was and play within the band and there's less of that here which which yeah. makes it much more the tray show either it works or it doesn't and you know it immediately 
Right. And so you get a lot of that playing on top, but sometimes it works and you get some nice textures like in this Brian and Robert. And I will say the taste is my highlight from this set because after about eight minutes or so, eight and a half minutes or so, it really peaks out. And there's a good couple minutes of just something that something that I think is working. And maybe, you know, everybody after an hour, however long the set is of playing music, they kind of were clicking a little bit. And so time to take a break. Yeah. <laughs> we should do that too. Oh, good idea. I'm so I'm really glad that you, Megan and Brian, found the the beauty in the first set because I didn't hear any of what you guys heard. So I'm glad that you heard that. I was just listening to it. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like these songs are clearly not working. So that was just me. But do you think like, what do you think was going through Trey's head at this point? I mean, maybe it's like the Simpsons, Not you know, like the, the monkey, mm -hmm. you know, with playing the symbols. But was it like, do you think that they were trying to make an awesome show? Do you think they were just partying and, and the music was secondary? Do you think they were still trying to like, because Trey's pretty focused, you know, and I think even in these times, he was probably, he cared about fish a lot, right? But... In these shows, it's Sorry. really hard to imagine someone who cares playing can, a show. Can like I go this. first so that yes. they can give more charitable views after? Yeah, yeah. I just um, want to know your opinions. Because, uh, I, first of all, I mean, I for everybody listening, I told these guys I, there was only a 20% chance I'd even listen to this show. Um, but I did. Um, but I think that I bet the rehearsals for this run were pretty good. And they got to Vegas first night drain wrecked. We kind of talked about that. And I bet during that show, the first night Trey was like, yeah, yeah. Except here and there, he's like, oops. Oh, well, yeah. And then somewhere in between then and the start of this show, Trey was like, mm, we could do, I could do better. We could do better. He probably collectively said we could do better, even though it's he who needed to do better. And um, I think he was trying. But, you know, you can only do what you can do. You can't, like, talk yourself into, you know, running a marathon. You have to be in shape to do it. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors and beyond from the world that turns us on we're reaching into the improvisational music scene the psychedelic culture the festival world and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes come join us on the long strange trip over at no simple road hey listeners i want to tell you about one of our great partners DistroKid. DistroKid makes music distribution fun and easy with unlimited uploads and artists keeping 100% of their royalties and earnings. If you're a musician and looking to get your music out there, DistroKid is the way to go. DistroKid is available for iOS and Android and is now available in Apple's App Store and the Google Play Store. More than a million artists rely on DistroKid to get their music onto Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, TikTok, Tidal, Instagram, and all other major streaming services. And with DistroKid, you can upload new releases, see your financial progress, get notified when you've earned royalties, withdraw money from the app, view and share links, check your streaming stats, and a whole lot more. 
DistroKid has more features than any other music distributor. Check them out today. Go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash helping friendly. That's distrokid with a capital K dot com slash VIP slash helping friendly for a special offer. Thanks, DistroKid. And you have to not be doing a lot of drugs, too. <laughs> and, you know, I I don't know if you've known anybody who's who's had issues with, with oxy or with opiates. I loved someone who struggled with that, and it turns you into something that is inhuman and just takes away your desire and your drive to do anything but but deal with that and think about that. And I don't know what exactly Trey or other band member struggles were like at that moment, but those drugs were in the scene. They were in the mix and they, they wipe out even the most driven person's good intentions or drive. So I just, I don't know. That's what I hear. I just hear someone who's lost it. Even when they're just chipping, you know, playing with it a little bit. um, It. Oh yeah. It's still. You, you, they, they begin They're they deceive themselves. Yeah. The user deceives themselves, them. even if it, you know, is not a hundred percent of their lives. It's really 98. <laughs> they just yeah. haven't realized it yet. Yeah. yeah I think. Hmm. So I saw a, a tab show in summer 2002 and I was, I was right on the rail for it. And it's an amazing show. There's like 13 songs played and there's like four songs over 25 minutes. And it's just like as wild experimental 2002 tab as it got. One of my distinct memories of the show is, and I was, I was really young. So like, forgive me for this, but like one of my really distinct memories was I didn't like Trey. I, I just hated the personality of him on stage. And this guy who, as I listened to and the, hiatus era who was full of wonder and curiosity and humor and you know this kind of like mischievous kindness um where he'd like fuck with you but like he loved you at the same time that like really was appealing to me as someone you know hearing this band that pulled bits of music that i'd listened to my whole childhood but like there was like a statistical sports element to following this band that like just became everything to me seeing him like in person, it was, it was like one of those, um, you know, they like make movies sometimes where like someone, uh, you know, finally achieves like, um, like working for someone that they've always wanted to work for. And they realize that there's this dark side to that person that leads them to be so powerful. And, and and it was like that experience for me of like, Oh fuck, like you're actually kind of a dick. Like he seems so arrogant. He asked a girl like to like, show her tits again during the show. Like it's really kind of weird, disturbing rock star stuff. And I say that because, you know, when this run was announced, I I seem to recall it it was announced in like February and the immediate reaction was, holy shit, the second Island tour is happening. The band feels energized. There were elements of the Miami run that were really, really, really good. The 28th, the 29th, second set on the 31st, awesome music. But if you listen to the Miami run, you listen to the third set, you, you hear the preview of where Vegas is. And so all of this, I say to color, because 
I don't necessarily think that their intentions were bad going into this run, but I think that it was like you're saying, Meg, like when you're using and and like full disclosure, like one of my best friends who I attended this run with, like later in life would go through a huge battle himself with the same type of shit that Trey was taking and figured his own way out of it as well. And that is like that experience of like being alongside of him for that, seeing him go through that and seeing where he is now colors a lot of my experience of like viewing fish over the last 20 years, because there is hope on the other side. And sometimes people who go through this, you don't wish anyone to go through this, but they do end up better on the other side because of touching that darkness and touching that um, hopelessness, like that 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 it, that informs their perspective and informs who they are, and they actually do better in the world because they went through this. Um, I, I almost feel like there's a sense of there's a runaway train. The band is trying to stay on it. They're trying to keep this thing going, and the expectations are that the show just must go on it's fucking hollywood yeah. we'll work through this we'll go uh, we'll go we'll Goo-Goo go dolls reference there very, very timely <laughs> unintentional um <laughs> but like you know no it's soul asylum um soul asylum one of those bands <laughs> oh, right. all the runaway train I got it I, I saw them in 2009 and they played that song midway it. through the set and everybody left and someone yelled at them you play that at the end dude um, which <laughs> lessened all of your bands with one hit. <laughs> um, encore. Amazing. Encore. Uh, the use for encores. Um, no, but my point is like, I kind of see where you're coming from, Jonathan, in terms of like, Trey must have been like, we can do better. Part of me thinks slightly differently that I think that, I don't even think there were rehearsals for this. Like my, my guess is that they just kind of were like, we can just do it. And they showed up and the first night was so bad that there was almost like an intraband discussion of like, well, how do we fix this? And they play it kind of safe with a really strong set list. And that elevates things above, you know, what they necessarily can't do, um, which is play a lot of these songs incredibly well, but the set list helps to shape the energy there, which is like, let's lean into what we know works. Well, that kind of leads to my thought on, you know, what happens in this second set, which is that Trey's not singing too good. So maybe we should not focus on sing- songs, but even that plan, mm-hmm. I think falls apart a little bit because um, <laughs> they do in a the lot. end, but, but they come out, and you know they 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 jam. Should we run the set list here? Yeah, preface yeah. this set a lot. Um, let's see. It's a uh, got a Jabu, Twist, Camel Walk, De Wilson, and a little drummer boy into Wilson. Uh, hold your head up, love you. Hold your head up, waves, life boy, horse, silent, loving cup. And the encore is Harry Hood. This is um really nice on paper mm-hmm. yeah like written down on paper i mean to say yes um but i i rj why don't you tell us what you think i thought the the jabu and the twist were great the you know to me that's the it kind of you know that is the highlight of the show for me. That combo, the twist jam is is great. It like the peaks are good. It it really like they 
for the first time in the show, I think personally, like they connect all four of them, like during that twist jam. And they're able to like build up to that, like full band peak in a way that I didn't hear, you know, up to that point in the show. And yeah, I mean, I can't imagine, I mean, we know that like backstage was like a, a circus, you know, and like, I know from Tom that there, you know, there, I think there were people who stayed back there the entire time and didn't even go out yeah. to watch the show. Like mm-hmm. it was like, they just were walking and the band would walk in and out of a giant party and then go back and play more. I mean, it must've been so hard to really like try to make a cohesive show, but, um, you know, this beginning of the second set, I think is, is really solid. Um, there's some interesting stuff in like the Wilson and, you know, how they, you know, they're clearly like playing with a little more intention, I think here in the second set, but, um, I really like I really like the twist. Um, I think the jam is worth going back to and probably something that I, you know, is, is better than I would have expected it to be. Yeah, I mean, I think the twist is without question the highlight of this show. And I think it's one of the highlights, honestly, of the overall era. Um, I'll I'll spare you all the list that I put together, but I think it is one of the hyper-focused, connected, thematically it makes sense, fish jams of 2.0, which is slightly rare at times, but is also there's enough of them scattered across 2.0 that like when thing like there was a high ceiling, there was a very low floor, but there was a very high ceiling that the band could reach. And to me, this jam, it's thematic from the jump. They follow each other. Um, there are definitely some moments, especially like as they move into the peak where Trey's just like, okay, I'm just taking over right now. And this is just what we're doing. But I think there's a lot of Mike had this like base effect at the time that sounded like, a friend of mine described it as nitroglycerin. It just sounds like it's just like wet and it's just like falling apart, but it it works so well. It's like kind of sparkly. And him and uh, uh, Fishman were still at their top of their game. And when they can connect and Trey and Paige can get over the challenges that they're dealing with, there is a ton of magic. And I think that you hear it throughout this. I wrote down a ton of notes. It's very menacing. It's very dark. It um, it grooves. It's very danceable. And outside of anything played in the Vegas 04 run, if you've never listened to a note of it, I would say go back to this jam. And if you're terrified of like the darkness and the rest, like just avoid the rest of it. But this is where everything connects for 20 minutes. Yeah, I really like this jam too. I feel like they just should have leaned into this like darkness and played like these crunchy effect heavy evil jams in 2004 because that's totally where they were, right? And I feel like Trey's sloppy <clears throat> or not sharp tone works really well in this jam and I just think that concentrating on Fishman, he's doing like super interesting stuff like adding so many textures and layers. The drive or the jam gets like super driving and then it gets so, so, so dark. And I feel like it's perfect for where Trey is and where the band is at this point. And that's when I think kind of like intention and moment connect in a way that makes it a perfect jam for this era. And I think the ending is really satisfying too. I think that the the jibu gets out a little bit too. I mean, I think the beginning of this set is is really strong, like you were saying, RJ. And I do like how Camel Walk is like kind of dark and monster sounding too. I found those moments throughout the whole show whenever they were leading into like either sadness or darkness is when I felt like 
all of a sudden I would kind of think like, this is working, this is clicking here. And I love how they kind of like drop into this Wilson out of the camel walk. It's super freewheeling. It's pretty painful. The vocals are like so hard to listen to. And then it's just hilarious that they end up in this Fishman moment that doesn't really work. Like his suit, his musical suit. I don't understand what it was, but it was like cassette tapes. Like what, what was going on with this? It's made out of cassettes and he's playing it with like his hands. I get you covered on all all of that. Um, So I'll touch on that real quick. And then I, I maybe jump back to the beginning of the set, but the, the suit was woven from, it had like cassette media woven into it. And then he had like, heads like play heads on his fingers and so instead of like you know in 94 when he'd play the washboard he was playing his suit right it just was not very effective i i well, love they it build it up the next the night they, before yeah the, the encore they, the sally has a vocal jam hinting at it so you go into right. the night expecting yeah. this and then they bring it in and at some point someone should have just been like just fucking forget the suit and Trey's like, we didn't have time. Fish didn't have time to sound check this. So it, this is the first time because we're going to play this. He says, like, he's, oh, wearing no. he oh, says no. he's wearing it backwards at one point. Yep. And yeah. He's yeah. like, I've got it on backwards. And like, if you I, listen yeah, on the and, tape, like they're working out the beats of it. But like Trey's like, what song are we going to play? So we're going to play the song and then you're going to do it. And like, you can hear this whole back and forth on the tape. Yeah, it's kind of nuts and i i i wonder like i thought i was thinking earlier like wonder what the sound check for this day was and then part of me is thinking maybe they just didn't do one because some people didn't show Mm up um because that would be consistent with what we have here for this run but back to the beginning of the set for me uh, i think the jabu starts iffy and kind of comes together um, and Twist is probably one of the better jams of 04. I, I think I have to give you that, Brian. It it's it's almost pleasant to listen to. Um, it's interesting to listen to. They do come together, um, unlike some of the other jams in the first set and the things that you know, I really feel like they they connect here. And um I don't know that I'll go back and listen to it again anytime soon, but they do connect. And then Camel Walk is interesting. Um, I should pause and say that Mike and Fish are killing it through this show. You can hear it in the jams. You can hear it everywhere. Um, You can hear it in Camel Walk, which almost flies apart at the seams. Um, Because it's not a straight ahead song it's you know an old and slightly odd tune and then i hit the skip button when i heard trey start singing wilson i was like i didn't know um and i couldn't so okay but i know we want to talk about the, probably the encore maybe other stuff but yeah. question do you do you guys think they ever thought about Taking these down from Live Fish, these shows. And and also, sorry, before yeah. I answer that, I just want to say that the whole Sonic dress thing, like think about Fish now. They don't do anything. I mean, partially because, and I think John Paluska was amazing and did like 
took them to a place where they wouldn't have otherwise gotten to. But when I was listening back to the show, I was kind of thinking about that aspect of it because their team, you know, the red light team, like they're so professional and everything's perfected, you know, and like imagining them doing something like this at this point, is just like laughable because there's no way they're going on stage with a thing that they're going to try that hasn't been like run through so Busted. many hoops, you know? Oh and, yeah. Yeah. And I do wonder if like, I just, I kind of wonder if like people have just like kind of given up at this point. It's like, whatever, they're just going to do what they want. Like, let's just step back and let them kind of do what they want because they're going to do it anyway, as opposed to like trying to fight the fight of like, do you guys want to practice? Like, where is Trey? It's like four in the afternoon and we like haven't seen him yet. And we know that that happened. Trey told us that when we interviewed him for Alive Again, like he would, people would tell him to go to bed at noon and then he'd be like, okay. And like, you know, I just wonder if like anyone had even, I just wonder if like it was sort of like, a lot felt like a lost cause in terms of trying to get them organized to so. do shit. I mean, you know, they, the fans were still showing up. So like the business was mm -hmm. still theoretically working. Like it'd be one thing if you or I, who I think are the only two people here who went to this run, if we were both like, I'm not fucking going to see fish right now. Like, are you kidding me? Mm -hmm. And then like thousands of more people like, and they booked Thomas and Mac and like six weeks out, they were like, Oh my God. Like we, I mean, fish sells out shows like that. Like it's a really rare thing in a weird part of the country where you can just like get a fish ticket. You know, when they play specific markets, it's gone. You don't have a chance. You're done. Like you either get tickets or you're scrapping on the secondary market so like people are still going to fish shows and so i think that there's got to be a sense from the business standpoint of like what can we do like these guys mm -hmm. are just kind of like it's working it's not as though the the show business aspect is like this is a show that people believe in but is not drawing a crowd um but yeah it is an interesting thought about because i think part of it is you know the the wheels have come off like this is this is just the this is the end and and the end of fish was the party got too much and the whole origins of fish as we've talked about was around just people are showing up there's a party and we are the band that is going to play and not only are we the band that's going to play the party but we're the band that's going to add to and elevate the party because we are going to have elements of our show that are going to distract you from just the congregating with people and make your party that much better. And so the festivals that they would throw on their own in the 1980s and introduction of horns and all the zany and weird jamming in 93 and the way that that expands in 94 and the way that they, you know, their motivation and their dedication to work drives them to the 95, 97, 98 peaks, all of it kind of peaks with big Cypress they're still doing that, but they're not capable of holding up their end of the bargain where they are elevating the party. Um, which well, the party know, also, Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Brian. I was just going to conclude with like five years later. You're totally right. RJ, like there's a professionalism of seeing fish in 2009 and 2010 that felt slightly sterile to what mm. the experience was seeing them even in 2.0, where it was like, this is still their thing. It's now their thing. Slightly corporatized which i don't walled say off. in a derogatory way yeah it's it's walled off and that was it was essential for it to keep going but go ahead Meg. yeah i was just gonna kind of add on to what you were saying about you know they created the party they created this culture 
they created this community and it grew exponentially beyond any of their wildest beliefs. And when you create something like that, you can't control it anymore. And I think that that it's like anything that's created. Yeah, it's beyond you. And there's amazing, beautiful things that came out of it. And there's also darkness too. And you can't help but be a product of that environment. And I think that what happened was it just got out of hand, you know, anything that's, it's like a society was built around them, you know? And I think it's so interesting thinking about they had to shut it down and kind of clean it up in order to come back. I mean, that goes to what I talked about throughout the series in the later nineties from the mid nineties on is that they reflected the scene. And, um, Mm -hmm. I think that's still, that's still accurate in 2004. Um, that there was a lot of, a lot of what was going on backstage on, uh, or excuse me, a uh, backstage was happening out front. It was happening with the band, near the band and in front of the band. And, um, you know, it, it, it because they were so connected to that and, mm-hmm. you know, absolutely right, Brian. And I think they would hundred percent agree is that, that, separation became necessary in order for them to carry on. Um, and, and I think that as it's structured now, as it goes now, and we all are finding, we as the fans are finding new ways to continue to connect with our, our friends and our relationships in front out in front of the stage, the band is finding a, ways to connect with the audience while from within that safety buffer uh, that keeps them well and keeps things going in a, in a healthy way. Uh, yet we probably don't get there without going through this. Um, but mm-hmm. it's not this that makes them better. It's the learning how to deal yeah. with the problems. You know, it's something you talked about before, you know, uh, about how sometimes people go, go through, you know, addiction and heavy shit. And if they get to the other side, they can be better people. But in order to get to the other side, they really they have to work on war, the problems that they weren't working on. Right. That they were yeah. avoiding. Um, and Fish was avoiding kind of dealing with their growth and dealing with the party backstage and all of those things they were they were just like this can probably go on and and yeah yeah, they needed to they needed to address it and they did finally um it took a while but yay we're here and i will say like just you know we have a few more years to cover here before they come back in that um much more positive light that Jonathan just described. So we're going to, we're going to, but we're, I mean, we'll yeah, find to get ahead stuff. of ourselves. <laughs> well, no, but it's true. I mean, we have a few, you know, we have a few years of the, of the darkness, but you know, darkness as in no fish, but there's still, you know, good music that we're going to, we're going to talk about. But, you know, Trey said like many times, like he could have died, you know, and like he could have died after this show or the night after. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah you, absolutely. I mean, like we wouldn't, obviously we wouldn't be here. We wouldn't know each other probably there. Yeah. And I I do somewhat wonder what Fish's legacy and the fan base would be like if, if there was no Fish ever again after 2004, like, would it, 
would it be like a almost like Blind Melon where it's like we love what Blind Melon did, but like, you know, it ended in whatever the year that was, 95 or something. And then it was like, okay, well, that was really cool. But like we, you know, it's been 20 years. We're like doing something totally different. I just wonder if the legacy would have been different had the band ended in 2004. Oh, but, it had um, been different. Oh, Definitely yeah. way different. Um, the, just another tragic story. It would have been a lot of that, like VH1 behind the music story, Mm -hmm. but it also would have been, um, I think they would have had something that they've had, you know, recently, which is, you know, a little bit of a cultural rehabilitation where they, you know, people in closer to the mainstream are recognizing fish and, and I don't want, and I'm say closer to the mainstream because it's not like the Grateful Dead where, you know, NBA stars are wearing dead t-shirts, you know, in and out of the locker room or something like that. Um, but it's, uh, but they've, they've pushed a little closer to that. And I mean, yeah, we've Bill got Walton. like I'm some talking about active NBA players and stuff. But we have um, like some, you know, B-list celebrities that are fish fans. Yeah. So you know? we're getting they there. Probably still would be. <laughs> yeah. Um, we th- but, hey, we think you guys are A-listers out there. All right. Yeah, in no, our hearts, we're all A-listers. In my book. Okay. <laughs> we're um, the B-listers. Yeah. No, I, think, I don't know. We're more like. We're more D. like a C or D. Yeah. I think, I think the Blind Melon is, is, is interesting. I don't know a ton about like their, their larger fan base, but I think that in 2004, even the fish community was still so countercultural in a lot of ways um, that I think it would have shrunk, but there would have still been like a very dedicated group of people that were maintaining their legacy because they really believed. And I think they're right that they saw something very important, but um, you know, fish in 2004 was not the grateful dead in 1995 in terms of reach. They were not able to play those Mm -hmm. venues. So I don't think that there would have like, let's say worst case scenario, someone had died after this point in time or during this period. I don't think that there is the draw for, the remaining three members to do what the Grateful Dead remaining members have done over the last 30 years, which is carry on the legacy of the band and give people at least a, a, a sensation that they are touching that experience. I think you would have had it in very small, small doses. Um, I think the alternative would be if, you know, they just didn't get back together. Um, there mm-hmm. would be, you see it right now, um, obviously totally different levels, but like, there's a lot of rumors right now that Oasis is going to get back together. And part of that band's legacy has just been, are they going to be able to work their shit out and get back together? Or are they going to come back? and It's going to be a shit show. And that would have been almost the dominating legacy of fish. Whereas I think we're all happy, not only the shows that we've caught and the friends that we've made and like the, um, you know, the life choices of spending hours and hours and hours behind a microphone trying to understand a band. Um, but like, I think we're all, we're all happy that the way that the, the band's story evolved from here was a story that was slightly unprecedented in rock music at the time. And it does showcase that to your point, Jonathan, yeah, you can go through the darkness and be better on the other side, but you do have to figure out what was wrong and you do actually Mm -hmm. have to put in the work to figure that out. That, regardless what you do personally, professionally, however you conduct your life, like that is a huge fucking story from Fish that should be treasured beyond the fact that we got awesome jams and awesome shows and everyone got like a bust out that they wanted, even if quadraphonic toppling hasn't been played before. Um, you know, all of these, <laughs> sorry, Unreal. all of these, Unreal. like, um, all of these things that have happened in the 20 years since or 15 years since 
Um, I, I I don't think happens directly because of how bad this got, but it it came out of the fact that the Vans still saw magic here during this era and put in the work to figure their way out of it and, and grew as people. Well, I didn't want to end on like the, the sad note of what would have happened if someone died, because I don't, I don't think that's so let's really... on Harry hood. Yeah. Did I miss yeah, the Harry hood talk? No, no, no. It's right here. <laughs> we're, we're sending you out with an encore here, guys. Um, yeah, I mean, encores are overrated, but this one is okay. I agree. Um, they should have ended the run right here after this Harry hood. Um, agreed. Yeah. Mm, the, uh, it's it's got a little jam, and I think you're right, Brian, to call out that it kind of leans chugle, if you will, a little like syncopated chugly kind of thing that they break into. That is not Harry Hood, uh, kind of in the middle there. It's 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 cool, and it still manages to fall into the right peak at the end. And uh, you know, I actually I listened to this with my guitar in hand. I, it's one of my newer uh focusing focus listening efforts because i can i can really hear when they make changes if you will and uh and i can't play harriet nobody wants to be in the room when i'm doing this by the way but uh but i do <laughs> um and they uh yeah it's it's cool to listen to how it shifts pretty comfortably again it's one of those bits where like you know, despite some cringe in the second half of the second set, it they come back together and wrap up pretty reasonably well. Almost like us. Here we go. Yeah, this hood is... Um, 2.0 has a lot of deep, dark, hairy hoods. Uh, Alpine, Charlotte, Camden this version and then it kind of reverts back to itself in parts of 2004 and then 09 to 2013 harry hood is harry hood and it's that really cathartic experience um the thing that i've always found interesting as you go further in fish history is they start to return there's uh, great woods 2014 san francisco 2014 msg 2019 versions that all go into this kind of dark middle jam that is very very different from harry hood it was one of those things at the time that i i recall a lot of the fan base being split some people just like you said bag like maybe they should just lean into the jams and so you, you lean into the jams and you get like a 20 minute harry hood that goes completely off the rails a lot of people had since you know the the belief of harry hood's kind of perfect as is don't mess with it just play it well um and so you get that kind of diverging path here i think that this is a really solid version that goes into uh a really dark area trey kind of takes us along on a rhythmic journey with mike and fishman and yeah the wrap-up is really clean i i agree i think ultimately they should have been like hey this is the best we can do let's not come back tomorrow <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> the next night is not as bad as the first night but there are some really just embarrassing elements. Like yeah. my, one of my defining memories of this run was walking away and feeling slightly embarrassed to be a fish fan, which is the only time I've ever felt that. Like oh, as man. a fish fan, you get a lot the of shit time? for being a fish the fan. The only time? Yeah. This yeah. was the only it's time where like I was like, throughout I, high school. No, this, I, this was the only time where I was like, I cannot defend this. Like I get all of the criticism. But uh, let's just, 
I, I, I want to let Megan get back to Harry Hood so we can end again on that high note. But I just want to say, like, the most of the outside of fish fandom criticism of fish is not about what happens at the at, at these shows. It's not, you know, no, they're not playing no. to this those is, this things. Is within the community. They're not playing to that, you know. Yeah. So it's it's far worse. Yeah, I feel like there's a weekly moment when someone says something to me that's meant to make me feel slightly embarrassed about being a fish fan. So I'm a yeah, I'm not over that. I don't feel the embarrassment <laughs> because I'm like, right, you're, right. you're just wrong. You're, you don't know. You don't, you don't understand get it. it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I don't feel it either. But um, sometimes it's hard not to. But yeah, I think this hood, you've said it both beautifully. It's beautiful. I like when hood gets contemplative. That's kind of like my favorite kind of hoods, the kind that make you I don't mind a trip to the dark side of my hood. So I like it. I think it's beautiful. And it really reminds me of the moments in this show that I thought were the most kind of like dark and tender were my favorite ones. So I was, I loved this ending. It made me feel, made me feel okay. Well, we hope that you all feel okay about this. <laughs> Maybe not good, but okay. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for coming <laughs> on this journey with Can us. It- can I address one more tiny thing um, in a charitable fashion? Um, a lot of, because we haven't talked about this at all, and a lot of people talk about the lights at this run. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. the Chris Crota was not available for this run. And uh, Fenton Williams, who I believe works for Dave Matthews, and I think still does, um, ran the lights for the, this run. And uh, I people... Blamed, some people blamed the band's performance on the lights. And I mean, <laughs> full so acknowledgement, <laughs> the lights, I mean, he's not Chris Carota. He doesn't know the rig. I don't think he had a lot of prep time. And uh, and it's so I think pretty like it's a impossible job. To climb, Big right? set yeah. of shoes yeah, I mean. to jump into without. And I mean, like, you know, the gear. I, I'm going to guess, uh, like, I know he's a professional in this field, you know, he knows the stuff, but he doesn't know the music the way Chris does. It's just not, it's it, it was hard, an impossible no job. But that's and, not the music. Right. And I, no. <laughs> and I think to, so impossible job to jump into. So God bless him for trying. Um, but also like, you can't blame this guy for the band's performance it is no. it's just bullshit to do so and i just i i just wanted to take this moment to say that to all of you fish fans who have blamed the lights come on <laughs> come yeah. on it's, it's a pretty level blaming thing. blaming the lights for a musical performance is is a lot like what what do they say dancing to architecture i don't know um <laughs> there there is a there is a clip on youtube of because Part of the complaint around it is, you know, Kuroda sets these tones and then he plays with that tone and fish lighting fish has to be very, very different from lighting a lot of different bands because you have to go along with the jam. And there's a clip on YouTube that is the peak during the ghost from the third night and it's all strobes and it's just hyper intense and there's no tone setting. So the experience of being in the room and seeing those lights was slightly jarring and it, and it did not have the total feel of what you get from a Corotta indoor fish experience. But 20 years later, when you're listening to these tapes, like there's, re- there's relatively no videos from these shows online, which mm. I think to your Good. question earlier, RJ of like, have they ever considered taking these down? I would imagine that they've 
at least figured out a way to take videos down and, and are thankful that this was not yeah. five years later where mm. everyone had a smartphone and could take a video and immediately yeah. put it up on YouTube. Like 2004, we're still using uh, like disposable cameras and the cell mm -hmm. phones, like in a lot of cases, don't even have cameras. So it's it's just a totally different period for 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 capturing that type of media. All right. Well, we appreciate everyone being on this ride with us. We're going to be back next week with 2005. We will have to, we're going to skip Coventry and we're going to go to 2005. Um, we're going to pretend, <laughs> we're going to pretend this Harry Hood was the last thing they played before they came back in 2009 <laughs> and move on. Um, anything else, guys, before we wrap it up? I mean, I guess just the only thing is, you know, as we move through the next five years, we're obviously not going to be covering any fish shows, but um, it's going to be really interesting to check in on where various band members and various projects were over the next four years. And um, I will say as like a immediate listener, like there's going to be a lot of filling in the gaps that I think we're going to do. Cause I, um, I, I was ready to leave fish behind after this in a lot of cases. And yet the story continues. And the fact that the story continues is why we're here. All right, we'll leave it at that. See y'all soon. See you. Osiris. reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Yeah! The wrath of the buzzer. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The wrath of the buzzard. P-R-O-H files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. Hi, I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are The Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> <laughs>